Yo, yo, what's up, everyone? Pete Forsey, the podcast, coming at you here on a Wednesday afternoon, July 3rd, the day before America's birthday, and just an awesome time of year, probably my favorite holiday. You got Thanksgiving, Christmas, I even like Halloween still, just with the little dress-up factor, I still think that's fun going out and seeing costumes, Uh, but also just the time of year that we have going on, specifically this year making me feel very patriotic watching uh, Women's World Cup, watching the girls play. The Americans just beat London yesterday, and I was actually set to record this week's episode of the podcast, but the game was going on, and I uh, I wanted to incorporate uh, talking about that into this episode, so that's what we're going to do here this week. Going to talk Cardinals baseball, obviously. Going to get into some trade proposals that I think the Cardinals should uh, put out there and some targets that they should be asking about other clubs with. We're going to talk NFL. I think they still reign as the best league among all professional sports, and you can look to the NBA, which I'll do, as to why that still is. And then, of course, we're going to talk about LeBron James and his number change because I think it drummed up some great memories on what's great about sports. It's episode 22 of the podcast. Thanks for listening. Okay, it's time that we get a little more in-depth with this because as much as we want the Cardinals' best players to be the best players, two of them are on the shelf right now. Marcel Ozuna chipped a finger, diving back into first base on Friday in San Diego, and now Matt Carpenter, after a stomach virus, hurt his back. He was lying around so much, so he's going to be out until after the All-Star break. So really, it just leaves Paul Goldschmidt to start heating up, which eventually I think he will. Again, Paul Goldschmidt... A lot, uh, a lot of things going on in that swing, okay? It takes a lot of trigger mechanisms to get him in sync. Right around All-Star break is when he's going to heat up. I think he could go on a torrid stretch. Matt Carpenter is going to take a little bit more when he gets back, okay? He's got to swing earlier in the count. He's taken way too many pitches early in the count. He's just digging himself a hole. When you got the shift against you, it doesn't bode well, okay? You're going to get a lot of outs, and that's what's happening to him right now. Marcelo Ozuna. Very admirable. Just Mr. Consistency this year. Loves to play. Plays with a lot of enjoyment. And he wants to be in the lineup. And really, that's all you ask for out of guys is to play hard every day. And to want to play through pain. Want to play through fatigue. Never take a day off, basically. And that's Marcelo Ozuna. And that's what's great about him. Cardinals cannot get him back soon enough. But in the meantime, there are some guys out there that they should think to add. They're is a narrow list of people you need to look at from other clubs. I think it's important because considering the Cardinals roster, they have a lot of financial commitments already to players uh, for the 2019 or the 2020 season. Okay, You look at Dexter Fowler, you look at Paul DeYoung, Colton Wong, Goldschmidt Carpenter, those guys are all under contract. You've already committed dollars, whether it be big bucks or small bucks. You've already committed to a lot of players, so I don't know why you would want to take on a a guaranteed contract already and just make your roster already more inflexible than it already is. Personally, I think you need to ship Colton Wong out. There's not a whole lot of upside for a glove first second baseman in today's Major League Baseball. You can tell me how great it is that he is the best defensive second baseman in all of baseball. It really doesn't matter. You got to hit. You have to hit. He's not. He's a replacement level player. I sa- I said it yesterday on Twitter. There's really no reason to view him any different than Greg Garcia because they give you the same amount of output when it's all said and done. So with that being said, I think it's important that the Cardinals target some guys that are pending free agents. I think Yasiel Puig over on the Reds. They need to target him. He's a pending free agent after this year. He's hit 13 home runs the past two months. 
He's been 15% better than average. He's a target that I think, even though he's in the division, if you go to the Reds and say, hey, look, look at our lower-level pitchers. Take take a pick. Which one interests you? Okay, You can deal him to someone else. You can deal Puig to another player, get a higher return, or you can get a sure-bet arm because that's what the Cardinals do. They always have good, talented pitchers. You can take one of them, and then you can beat us with them later on. But right now, we need Yasiel Puig. Give him to us. He's a hot bat. Jackie Bradley Jr. is another one. I think the Red Sox, if you give him a better pitcher, maybe someone like Mike Myers. Mike Myers is out of options for the Cardinals. So as soon as he is healthy, he's got to be on the roster. I think if you sent him to the Red Sox, the Red Sox need bullpen help. If you uh, pair Mike Myers with someone like, say, uh, how about that second baseman, Max Schrock? Okay, he was dealt in the Steven Piscotti deal with the Oakland A's. If you pair Max Schrock... Uh, Mike Myers, they could give you Jackie Bradley Jr., who's under control for two years or a year and a half, rest of 2019 and 2020 season. Uh, he's making about $6 million bucks this year, I believe. You could also look at a, a plenty of other guys. I think Cole Calhoun's another one. He's, uh, you know, he's less spectacular, but he still has solid numbers. And if you were interested in dealing Dexter Fowler, Dexter Fowler's making $18 million this year and the rest of next year and the, uh, the year after that. So two more years full of $18 million and the rest of this year. Why not Shinsu Chu if the Rangers fall out of it, okay? He's making the same amount of money. He's on the books for one less year, though, so you would have to pair him with another player. Um, I don't think they would take Colton Long. They got Odor over there in Texas. But you would have to give up uh, you know, an additional piece in that package if you wanted to ship Fowler out of town. But that's all contingent on the Rangers. The Rangers are playing good ball right now. They'd be in the playoffs if it started today. So that's something that maybe you need to keep on the back burner as we approach the trade deadline at the end of July on the 31st. But overall, I think you do not need to look at cost-controlled. Do not look at cost-controlled. I know that's all the rage. Whit Merrifield has been an option thrown out there out there for the Cardinals to, uh, to consider. I don't think that's a good idea. He's under contract already. Yes, he plays well, but why do you want to already guarantee more money on the books? You've gotten burned on that already. Paul DeYoung, okay, he was off to a great start, and he's going to be an all-star this year. I don't put a whole lot, pull out of stock into all-star. But signing him to that contract might have been a tad bit early, okay, because he is making bench money. But the fact that you combine that with that, the fact you paid Wong $5 million, you paid Fowler, which is looking like an albatross, Goldschmidt, Carpenter, you're just not going to be a whole – you're not going to be very flexible. So I would look at someone that's a pending free agent, someone that's going to be a free agent maybe after the 2020 season – and then, of course, you know, the starting rotation. If you want to add to that, okay. I just think it's a matter of time getting your options healthy because a lot of them at the minor league level have not been. Once you get Gomber healthy, uh, once Alex Reyes irons out all his uh, his troubles, he, uh, he uh, what was it, a pectoral issue that he had a couple weeks ago. Once they get healthy, you can piece together the innings and to get yourself to the uh, to the postseason. But if you're going to do it, if you want like a sure, steady guy, I think it's okay to go all in on Marcus Stroman. Marcus Stroman has been great, 108 innings this year, 18 starts. He's on track for about 192. He's been worth two wins above replacement thus far in 2019. Fielding independent pitching, 382. Those are the things he controls, and it matches his ERA. His ERA is about 3.18 heading into yesterday evening. I don't believe he pitched, so it should remain the same. But Marcus Stroman would be a good target. He's controlled through the 2020 season. Cardinals need to make a move. I would go with the hitter first. I think they got the pitching capability even at the minor league levels, but it would not be a bad thing to do that. Cardinals need to make a move even though some of their studs are out right now. Earlier this week, you had NBA free agency. 
NBA free agency had their day in the sun. It was Sunday. It was uh, a little bit on Monday. We're still waiting on Kawhi. But you know what? That's the problem with the NBA. They're all about the offseason. Like, I was glued to my phone. I was refreshing Twitter. I was wondering where all these guys were going. But guess what? Most people are like me. They don't even watch the regular season. They don't care about the product. The, pro- the games. They don't matter. It's such a top-heavy league, and it's such a uh, foregone conclusion that this is going to happen, whether it be the, the Cavs and the Warriors, or the Warriors, uh, this was the exception this year because of uh, injuries, but it's there's literally two to four teams that actually matter in the NBA, and that's what makes this, uh, this free agency period such a big appeal. Football, though, has this little thing called the franchise tag. It's the best thing going for them. It keeps the star players in cities like Jacksonville, Tampa Bay, Cleveland. They, they can't leave. They can't go to destination cities because a lot of times they're contractually tied, potentially eight years to the franchise that drafts them. That's if you're a first-round pick. The relating news that came out was that the CBA between the NFL and the NFLPA, they're heating up. They are planning on meeting for three days later on this month, and they're going to iron out, hopefully, the problems or the uh, you know the gaps that exist between the, the, the two of them. They want to iron this out before the uh, current one expires after the 2020 season because the health of the league would only boost them up even further. It would just only widen the gap between the rest of the leagues. And you know what? Franchise tag is not going anywhere. Franchise tag affects very few people in the NFL. It's just the people that everyone pays attention to. Franchise tag, non-exclusive, means that you get a top five salary, an average, of your position. Frankly, any player, or the excuse me, the majority of players would sign that in a heartbeat. It's a 100% guaranteed contract. One of the few times you can cash in on a guaranteed contract. That's why a lot of times you never even see quarterbacks get tagged because it's just hell for the team against their salary cap. The tag is usually a bad ploy by the team. It's only to keep uh, their rights to them. And there are a few positions where it actually becomes a bargain, D-tackle being one of them. However, the franchise tag is not going anywhere. It's one of the best things the NFL has going for them. And when you have that, when you have star players staying on the teams that drafted them, it, it creates parity. It creates parity amongst the league, and that creates hope. That creates doubt. The 16-game schedule already has its natural uh, volatile place to it. Anybody can win on any given season. I talked about it last week. The Chiefs could miss the playoffs very easily. Say Mitchell Schwartz gets uh, hurt for two, two, four games. He misses a month. The Chiefs' season could sink, conceivably. Patrick Mahomes, obviously, if he misses a game, that would uh, that would derail him pretty good. But even someone like Mitchell Schwartz, all, all it takes is a few things. It's a 16-game schedule. You miss your star players, you're going to lose. But the good thing is, is that those star players are not even leaving their cities to begin with. It's great for the league. It's great for the health of it. The games still matter in the NFL. Anything can happen. The NBA, you can't see the same for it, okay? They just had their big period. The NFL, best viewed uh, via television equals TV contracts. Star players staying in their cities, that equals parity, urgency. You got the 16-game schedule. That's not that many games. The NFL has it going on. The NBA, you cannot say the same thing. So the women's national team, FIFA World Cup, they just beat England yesterday. 2-1 to one final score on the heels of Alex Morgan and her game-winning goal. 2-1. to one. And there was a little bit of a fiasco afterwards, at least on the internet. I wouldn't say on the field. It looked to be particularly harmless if you ask me this is a celebration that we're talking about 
a lot of the, a lot of people get up in arms about this. I know I do, depending on what sport we're talking about, who we're talking about, and what the celebration is. It might surprise some of you. I'm okay with this. I really am. I think it was harmless. I think it was short. It was quick. Um, and you know, it was just a little, it was a little nudge. It was a little elbow to London. I don't think it was distasteful. Like that one, uh, news anchor said after the, uh, after the soccer game, I th- I think it's, you know, everything's acceptable here. This, everything's different depending on the sport that you're talking about. I don't cross and, you know, carry over principles. I don't carry over cultures and customs from sport to sport. Each of them are different. Each of them has their own set of rules. You, soccer is a game in which you celebrate all the time. You can look back at the men's game. You can look at the women's game. You can look at international. You can look at major league soccer. Celebration is not only acceptable. A lot of times it's encouraged. The culture, the player, the score, and the stakes of yesterday all dictated it. That is perfectly acceptable. I am I'm, have no problem with this. Alex Morgan, okay, she's a star. It's not like it's... Uh, I was going to say Joe Schmo, but that wouldn't work for uh, women's soccer. Um, it, it's it's Joanna Blow or whoever you want to talk about. It's not like she scored the game-winning goal, had this choreographed, extended version of a celebration, and did it right in the face of a London uh, defender. Okay, that's when it's like, eh, I don't know. You know, again, I'm not soccer. Um, I'm not too in, uh, attuned with everything, but I know the customs, uh, the culture, the standards and expectations. It's all different compared to, say, baseball. Baseball, a lot of this stuff wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't fly. And a lot of times it doesn't. And that's why pitchers take exception to it. But talking about soccer, I'm okay with it. And, it, you know, it, honestly, it's, it's pretty enjoyable watching this team. I think their culture is awesome. I've, uh, I've read up on it a little bit. I think they're all about winning. I think they're all about each other. They're dedicated athletes, and they really like representing the United States of America. It's fun to see, and when you see that culture pour over into the outcomes of the games, they're successful. It's it's it, honestly, I've been tuning into every game. I stopped recording yesterday so I could watch the entirety of the game, and uh, luckily we had some good talking points about it here today. I can't say the same thing for the men's though. The men's stink. They are awful. I remember watching that game. Uh, what, Trinidad and Tobago. I honestly only know the name of that place because of the movie Mighty Ducks. When the when uh, Emilio Estevez's team beat up on him on the hockey rink in, uh, in that Disney film about 20 years ago or so. Otherwise, I would not even know Trinidad and Tobago was a place. And the irony in it all is that the Americans in that movie beat up on them in the hockey game. And then they get their ass kicked in real life on the soccer field. So the guys got a long way to go. I love watching the girls. They're fun. They're energetic. They're about each other. They're about winning. They're about America. Happy 4th of July, everyone. The women have us covered. Flipping to something that has ultimately little importance, maybe only a camaraderie factor when you break it down as we go into the, into the season and maybe what that means for the two individuals involved. But I'll start with this. I remember Barry Bonds. And what he did for baseball. I've always contended that what he did for baseball was great. It got a lot of interest. It changed the dynamic of how baseball was viewed. And really uh, unearthed to Major League Baseball what people find entertaining. And that's home runs. And nowadays, strikeouts are entertaining. People do like strikeouts depending on, you know, who's involved and which connection that they have with that. But what Barry Bonds did in connection with his performance enhancing drug use, is it created a villain. It created a villain, 
and the nature of the sport lends itself so incredibly well to it. Alex Rodriguez did this too with his steroid use and also his dishonesty. Baseball, a game in which it's batter versus pitcher, in which it's slow, there is no clock, isolated moments. It gives fans the opportunity to recognize the situation. It grabs their attention. And when you have villains, of course, in sports, we know what that means for the fans in the arena, in the stadium. They let, they let out a chorus of boos. And it lends itself very well for baseball because people are paying attention. People want to tune in. I didn't miss Barry Bonds at bats during the 2004 to 2007 seasons, even a little bit earlier than that. Why? He was just captivating. You love him, you hate him, you cannot ignore him. Sports are better with villains, and baseball lends itself so well to it, but other sports it's harder. Football, it's very difficult just because there's so much going on, so many players on the field, so many uh, dependent factors, they're, they're all related. But basketball, it can happen, not as often as baseball, but it can happen. And LeBron James remind me of his time with the Miami Heat when he wore number six. He's going back to number six because Anthony Davis is coming to the Los Angeles Lakers. He's going to give him his number 23. Davis will wear 23, James back to six. And I remember that time with LeBron James. It was great. It was outstanding. Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade, LeBron James. He was the villain. It had everything to do with how he left, his decision to ultimately leave Cleveland. He was the villain during that 2011 to 2014 seasons. Maybe not so much in the aftermath with the championships. He won a couple. But that those first couple of years, there was so much hatred, so much criticism, so much just uh, vitriol from fans and media members alike. It was, it was fun. I know with social media nowadays, we see all the disgust, just all the just uh, shameful messages that are posted. But a lot of times, that what's, that's what makes sports so compelling. It's what makes it great, the attention that it garners. Good, bad, evil, whatever it may be. It's just, it's what makes it so special. And I'm not saying that LeBron wearing number six, it'll go back to that. But it just, it's a trip down memory lane. LeBron as the villain, number six, Miami Heat. I wish those days were still here because it was just a hell of a lot more fun. And maybe it will go back. There's nothing to uh, to make me believe so, unless he gets a couple of uh, nasty individuals on his uh, on his basketball team. I know he's. I hear that he's trying to recruit defensive players, Kawhi Leonard being one of them. But he's you know he's pretty reserved. Anthony Davis, he's pretty reserved. Defensive players, well, unless he gets uh, you know uh, you know just a straight badass on his team. I don't think we'll go back to those days. But here's an ode: LeBron James, Miami Heat, number six, back to the days of the villain. Sticking with the NBA, Brooklyn Nets, big splash, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. This is going to be one of the more interesting things to monitor throughout the NBA season, and I certainly will. It's not going to be about basketball. really don't care what happens on the court. All I care about is when the Brooklyn Nets are 5-9 and nine to start the season, and Kevin Durant steps to the podium, and Kyrie Irving, five minutes later, or even better yet, maybe if they're together, who pops off first? Who's the first one to snap, all right? We, we may have to set like an over-under, the first one to lash out at the media for asking very fair questions. 
for asking questions that they ask all of their sports teams up in New York, which is what the hell is going on when things don't start out great and when things don't remain great. That's New York, man. They, they have no patience. That's just how it works up there. They ask tough questions. There's just a, uh, a cosmic amount of them. Okay, that it's just so vast the amount of media members that are in New York that none of it's personal, and that's the thing about Kyrie. That's the thing about Kevin Durant. Everything's personal with them. There's a personal touch that they expect. There's a standard that they wish was there. But guess what? With the media, yeah, the, the, those rules really don't apply, especially when you're talking about the the New York media. They want answers. They'll ask the tough questions. They really don't care if uh, if you're offended by it, fair or unfair. They will throw darts at you. So if the Brooklyn Nets start out, you know, 6-11, and 11, and they're, they're, they haven't played their best basketball, is it going to be Kyrie who gets upset first? The guy who went on the diatribe uh, midway through the year about how he didn't realize how hard it was for LeBron James and how basically he's trying to take the reins as a leader with the Boston Celtics, even though the Celtics the year before made it to the Eastern Conference Finals without him. Is it going to be him? The guy who went on that that uh, that big long speech, or is it going to be Kevin Durant, the guy who had all the players in his corner on the Warriors, who had all the help in the world, who couldn't take the criticism of answering questions about his pending free agency, where he ultimately left town? Which is it going to be? I I guess I'm more inclined to say it's going to be Kevin because Kyrie grew up in New Jersey. Uh, has a little bit better feel what that's going to be like. Uh, you know, we went to Duke University and go to Texas. Garner's a little more attention, a little more well-coached but uh, with Coach K. He's been to a couple teams now, uh, along with Durant. But I'm more compelled to say it's going to be Kevin than Kyrie. But I don't know. That would be a fun over-under. It's going to be fun to monitor. Brooklyn Nets, uh, I don't know if it's going to work, you know, basketball-wise, conceptually-wise. I don't know if it works. But all I know is that all the news is going to be off the court with the Brooklyn Nets in 2019. Breaking news here on the pod, Ezekiel Elliott, running back Dallas Cowboys, will not be suspended by Commissioner Roger Goodell for his altercation in Vegas. Of course, if you missed it, Zeke was with his girlfriend in Vegas back in May. I believe it was right around when the Stanley Cup was uh, was just getting started. So maybe it was at the back of the beginning of June. But I remember it just came out about Stanley Cup time for all you Blues fans because I remember I was gearing up to watch that game. But a video came out of Zeke being... Uh, uh, he was talking to a bodyguard. Uh, he got up in his face saying, hey, what'd you say to me? The guy didn't appear to do anything. There was a little uh, little chest bump going on there, like, you know, both of them sticking it out. And, you know, you know, it really didn't lead to anything. It was just, it was pretty harmless. Um, I didn't think anything was going on there, and I didn't think it warranted his suspension. But I left the door open to it just knowing Goodell and how he likes to overcorrect things. He's always making up for Ray Rice. It is just the, it's the black mark on Roger Goodell that he still thinks he just has to make up for, and he really doesn't, okay? That time is gone. He screwed it up. He admitted it. People have forgiven him, and he's basically really investigated thoroughly any case that's similar to that domestic violence from that point on. However, I think ultimately this is what it came down to. Roger Goodell wants no part of Jerry Jones. He does not want any part of it because last time, last time he decided to suspend Zeke, Zeke went to, uh, he took it to court. Jerry Jones had his back all the way. Enough to Jerry Jones sued the league. He sued the National Football League, and he hijacked 
the commissioner's contract negotiation from his fellow owners. Arthur Blank, John Mara, uh, I believe uh, the Roonies are in on that committee that decides the contract for the commissioner. He just he took over that entire thing and delayed it, stalled it, aired it out in public, all because he had the back of Ezekiel Elliott. There's a good clip from All or Nothing, the uh, Amazon film that features a team each year. Panthers are going to be on it this year. I think it's coming out in a couple weeks. The Dallas Cowboys were on it last year. And there's a great conversation where after, uh, because it highlights the season before, there was a great conversation between Ezekiel Elliott and Jerry Jones in which they're sitting down in his office face-to-face, and Jerry just winks at him and says, you know I had your back, baby. You know I had your back. And Zeke's smiling. He says he's nodding, saying, yeah, thanks so much, Mr. Jones. You got to think. Roger Goodell said, I want no part of this. I want no part of Jerry Jones airing this out, uh, talking after games, even even if I just suspend Ezekiel Elliott for one game, even opening week, you know, during the 100th year anniversary of the NFL. He wants no part. He wants no uh, nothing quotable from even after one game from Jerry Jones talking about how the commissioner handled this situation. He said, no thanks, not even messing with it. Of course, again, it didn't warrant it, but there was no way he was going to suspend him, not after this last time. Jerry Jones owns Roger Goodell, even though he is the commissioner. Jerry Jones owns a lot of people in this league. Here's the recent example. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the pod. Enjoy your 4th of July. Enjoy your independence. Be a proud patriot. I know I am. I'm going to do what I usually do. Same group of people that I usually meet up with. It's going to be a lot of fun. Happy 4th of July. Happy birthday, America. We love you so much. Until next week. Hit me up, send me your questions, send me your voicemail, tell me what you like, what you didn't like, at Pete4C, that's number four, letter C. Go ahead, hit up the text line, hit up the voicemail, 816-226-7483. Enjoy your holiday. I know I will enjoy mine.